the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend producing, David King engineering in Portland, Pedro Bartes producing and engineering in Seattle. So glad to have us all back together again. I know you had a couple of radiothons in Seattle this week and next week we'll have one in Portland, but it's good to uh, to have everybody back today. We're going to take a walk through much of the day's headlines and what happened over the weekend, so strap yourselves in. There's a lot to talk about. Well, police in Houston, Texas, they identified the shooter who opened fire at Joel Olstein's Lakewood Church on Sunday as um, Janice Yvonne Moreno, uh, it was confirmed, was the shooter. Moreno, who has a lengthy criminal record, was born a man, Jeffrey Escalante, from El Salvador, was killed after off-duty police officers at the church responded to the incident. A search warrant of Moreno appointed an AR-15 at the officer's. Um, who then fired upon her and killed her in self-defense. The message, Free Palestine, also was written on the rifle used in that attack, but beyond that, they have no idea what the motive may have been. As a man, the 36-year-old Moreno has a criminal history, including convictions for assaulting a police officer in 2009 and forgery, rather, in 2010. Members of the FBI, the Texas Rangers, the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office, and the... uh, uh, Conroe and Houston Police Departments were investigating a, a, a property Monday in uh, Conroe, north of Houston, uh, that is believed to be Moreno's residence, according to local authorities. Well, the shooting happened on Sunday afternoon, uh, thankfully, before the Houston megachurch's 2nd p.m. Spanish service was set to begin. So this was between services. Moreno entered the church with a long rifle wearing a backpack and a trench coat and accompanied by a five-year-old child. And there's been some uh, dispute on the age of the child, five or seven. After the shooter opened fire, off-duty officers at the scene engaged the shooter, <clears throat> excuse me, returned fire. Moreno was pronounced dead at the scene. Police said that two people were injured, a 57-year-old man and the child the shooter came with. That child remains in critical condition at a children's hospital and is not expected to survive. Uh, During a press conference, Osteen thanked law enforcement and said that he was devastated by the shooting. Uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott called the shooting tragic. The motives are still unclear, but the investigation is ongoing. Meanwhile, former President Trump is asking the Supreme Court today to extend the delay in the trial stemming from special counsel Jack, uh, Jack Smith's 2020 election interference case, arguing that he has presidential immunity to protect him from prosecution. His attorneys uh, this afternoon filed an emergency appeal with the Supreme Court just days after the D.C. The DC appeals court ruled the former president and 2024 GOP frontrunner is not immune from prosecution in Smith's case. So the question remains unresolved, at least by the Supreme Court. The request is for temporary relief to stay or block the appellate court mandate from taking effect, which would give the Trump legal team more time to file an appeal to the Supreme Court on the merits 
of whether a former president deserves immunity from criminal prosecution for actions while in office. Well, the trial stemming from Smith's case against Trump is on hold pending resolution of the immunity question. The Justice Department may ask for expedited consideration of this initial emergency appeal. If the prosecution of a president is upheld, such prosecutions will recur and become increasingly common, ushering in destructive cycles of recrimination, the request states. Criminal prosecution with its greater stigma and more severe penalties imposes a far greater personal vulnerability on the president than any civil penalty, end quote. Well, the request adds the threat of future criminal prosecution by a politically opposed administration will overshadow every future president's official acts, especially the most politically controversial decisions. Well, the request states that the uh, the president's political opponents will seek to influence and control his or her decisions via effective extortion or blackmail with the threat explicit or uh, implicit of indictment by a future hostile administration for acts that do not warrant any such prosecution. This threat will hang like a millstone around every future president's neck, distorting presidential decision-making, undermining the president's independence, and clouding the president's ability to deal fearlessly and impartially with the duties of his office, end quote. Well, Trump's lawyers added, without immunity from criminal prosecution, the presidency as we know it will cease to exist. Well, the Trump spokesperson described the uh, filing as a powerhouse filing. As President Trump's powerhouse Supreme Court filing explains, if immunity is not granted to a president, every future president who leaves office will face the prospect of being wrongfully indicted by the opposing party, the spokesperson said. Without complete immunity, the president of the United States will not be able to function properly. Even while the president is still in office, his political opponents will use the threat of future prosecution as a weapon effectively blackmailing and extorting him to influence his most sensitive and important decisions. Well, the spokesperson added the Supreme Court should grant the required stay and put an end to deranged Jack Smith's repeated attempts to corruptly short circuit the ordinary and correct functioning of our justice system. Well, the filing comes after Washington, D.C. Federal Judge Tanya Chutkin earlier this month officially delayed the trial which was set to begin on the 4th of March, a day before the critical Super Tuesday primary contests, when Alabama, Alaska, American Samoa, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Virginia, and Vermont vote to select a GOP uh, nominee. Well, Chutkin said in December that she does not have jurisdiction over the matter while it's pending before the Supreme Court, and she put a pause on the case against the Republican 2020 a four front runner until the high court determines its involvement. Smith charged the former president with conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding and conspiracy against rights. Those charges stemmed from Smith's investigation into whether Trump was involved in the Capitol riot on the 6th of January 21 and any alleged interference in the 2020 election results. The former president pled not guilty to all charges in August of last year. In other news, Rich Lowry points out that Joe Biden is the first official ever to be cleared by a special counsel for reasons of mental incompetence. The president might have been better off if special counsel Robert Hur, investigating his mishandling of classified documents, had simply recommended indicting him instead of spelling out why a jury would not convict someone so clearly out of it. Her wrote, 
that at trial, Mr. Biden would likely present himself to a jury as he did during our interview of him as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with poor memory in quote, uh, quote rather, who doesn't like sympathetic, well-meaning elderly men with poor memories. Again, Rich Lowry. The problem for Biden, of course, is that this works as a description of long retired neighbor up the street who might uh, you might regard fondly. But it's never been uh, what we hope for in a president of the United States. The Her reports um, account of Biden's acuity isn't surprising for anyone who's been watching the president's public performance just in the last couple of days. He's twice mixed up the names of current European leaders with their predecessors from the 1980s and 90s, both of whom have been dead for years. Yet the report is valuable insofar as it represents a faithful nonpartisan account of how Joe Biden is for extended periods in private. White House aides aren't going to be honest about this. Indeed, it's their job to lie about it. Corrine Jean-Pierre, Biden's 49-year-old press secretary, had said she has trouble keeping up with the president, who is 30 years her senior and whose schedule is severely limited in keeping with his reduced energy and capacities. If she can't keep up with him, she needs to see a doctor herself. According to her, Biden did not remember when he was vice president for getting on the first day of the interview when his term ended, if it was uh, 2013, when did he stop being vice president and for getting on the second day of the interview when the uh, his term began in 2009 and still uh, am I still vice president? Well, it goes on from there. We do need to take a break. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. I'm Georgine Rice. Glad to have you with us. We're talking about some of the news stories of the last few days. And uh, again, glad to have you with us. We've been talking about the report uh, that was um, issued by special counsel Robert Hur that was unflattering of the president. Um, he didn't exactly um, ask tris- uh, trick questions. His election as vice president was to that point, And we're talking about him not being able to recall when his term began and ended. Uh, again, not exactly trick questions. Um, His election was, to that point, the biggest event in his uh, career, and it didn't take place that long ago. So it was a bit off-putting that he couldn't recall. Sadly, he didn't remember even within several years when his son, Bo, died. He also was uh, fuzzy on the internal debate over President Barack Obama's surge of troops to Afghanistan that he was a vigorous participant in. Well, the Her report underlines one of his uh, chief political vulnerabilities. Polling shows that a supermajority doesn't believe that he has the stamina or the acuity to serve another four years. If anything, those numbers might go higher. The president wants to run a campaign based on disqualifying the other guy, but that requires being minimally acceptable yourself. If Biden passed that threshold for most people in 2020, Passing it this year is going to require millions of people looking the other way, and fewer of them are willing to do so, polls seem to indicate. Well, the great advantage that Donald Trump has isn't that he's youthful at 77 years old, he's emphatically not, but that he projects a vigor and a sense of being in command. Whether or not you agree that that's the case, that's at least the image he projects. It's not Joe Biden's fault that he's so old and in decline. That happens to everyone who's long lived. What's blameworthy is that he 
he and, well, others haven't had the good sense, as far as we know, to acknowledge what's happening. Uh, The right thing to do would have been to take a hard look at this sometime last year to decide to spare the uh, president the humiliation and the country the potential crisis of running him again when he's not up for it. Or to run the vice president in his stead to determine whether or not the American people who believe that if he were to run and be successful, she would ultimately end up the commander in chief. If Biden had stood down, then he would look like a wise, public spirited statement. And he'd uh, have given his uh, party the chance to run a, a proper primary. It's too late for that now. No matter how bad the her report is for Biden, there is almost certainly worse to come. Again, uh, Rich Lowry uh, reflecting on this report that was, again, unflattering about the uh, the president. The other thing that was interesting about the report was that they found that he did, in fact, willfully and with full knowledge, <clears throat> break the law. But because he's old and can't remember, he's not going to be charged. He was um, uh, they were looking at the exact same things for uh, former President uh, Trump. An obstruction, it seems to me, would have been the proper charge in that case. But they have criminally charged him. Uh, for his alleged crimes in his case. So it also raises some very serious questions about how the two uh, cases have been handled. Well, videos of Joe Biden not knowing where he is uh, is or saying he just met with French president who died 25 years ago are not so funny anymore. Michael Reagan writes now, Michael Reagan, of course, is the son of Ronald Reagan, who served as president of the United States. And there was much said at the time about his mental acuity in the latter part of his second term. Uh, He was ultimately diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and his wife. Uh, kept him away from the public eye for a period of time uh, following the end of his uh, presidency to keep him away from the public eye and retain his dignity. But we've heard other um, allegations about other presidents. President Ford was said to be too old and infirm. Bush was said to be too old and infirm. Well, uh, again, Michael Reagan, uh, reflecting on his uh, father and his experience as they're tragic and I can help feeling uh, embarrassed and sorry for the president. It angers me to see him daughter out in public almost every other day and make a mumbling and confused, well, he writes, fool of himself. You can make your own judgment. Biden clearly uh, been in the early stages of dementia for several years. It's getting worse by the week, and there's no pill or treatment he can take that will ever make him better. Again, this is Michael Reagan's impression. In the 90s, I watched my father's mental decline for years, but I never had to feel embarrassed for him because it happened entirely in private. After my father told the country in a letter in 1994 that he had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, Nancy brought him home where he was surrounded by the rest of his for the rest of his life by family and friends and no media. She was wise enough to know when to take my father off the world stage. She didn't put him into a rest home where people might see him or take his photo. She wanted to protect his memory. She wanted him to be remembered the way he was when he was a vital and witty world leader, not the way he was when he was sliding into mental and physical decline. Biden's wife, Jill, the rest of the Biden family and the Democrat Party uh, people who supposedly love and care for him ought to be ashamed of themselves. Michael Reagan goes on to write. They're allowing the, the whole world, including the leaders of countries that do not like us, to watch the daily deterioration of our president. Joe Biden is already on the road to Alzheimer's. Now, I'm not sure where he's getting that, but he's referring to dementia, and that's his personal opinion. Nearly 7 million Americans already have it. It's a terrible disease that has no cure. But his wife, Jill, his Democrat Party handlers, and the major media have ignored or downplay it, have 
uh, who have downplayed it, have only one thing on their mind, defeating Trump and the MAGA Republicans in the fall. They all know Vice President Kamala Harris is uh, not up to the job. And even if California Governor Gavin Newsom replaces her on the 2024 ticket, which at this point it does not appear will be the case, Joe Biden is the party's only hope to hang on to its power. But the whole world knows there is no way he will make it through another four years if he is reelected. Where he stands today may be starkly different from where he stands four years from Election Day. He faked his way through the 2020 election by hiding in his basement. But Democrats know he'll never be able to pull off that trick again, even with the help of liberal media again. So to protect Biden from betraying how much he has declined, Democrats have made sure that there is no primary or debates he has to participate in. Now, in all fairness, uh, Donald Trump has not debated this time around, at least as of yet. They aren't even going to let him give the traditional three-minute Super Bowl interview this weekend because they're so afraid someone in the media might ask him a question about Hamas. They just hope that they can keep shoving an old man with a broken memory on stage and read words that no longer make much sense to him and then whisking him off before he gives an embarrassing answer to any questions he's asked. You'd think Joe's wife would want him to be remembered as he was when he was a senator or a vice president, but it's too late for that. People are going to remember him as he is now, an elderly man with a poor memory and confused mind. My father, and again, this is, uh, I'm quoting from Michael Reagan, writing about his own father, Ronald Reagan. My father was honest enough to write us a letter and tell us he had Alzheimer's. He knew when it was time to get off the stage. Nancy protected my father to the end so people would remember him the way we do now, the way he was as a great president and as a human being. God bless Nancy. Too bad Jill didn't take a lesson from her. Again, quoting from Michael Reagan. I do keep the president in prayer. I can't imagine the tremendous pressure he is under at his age. The pressure to run again, the pressure to maintain his position in his declining uh, health. Uh, And it it is questionable and many on both sides of the political aisle, even those who are supporting his uh, run in order to deprive a second term from Donald Trump are now acknowledging that the president is probably not up to the task into the future. God help America. God help the president and give the people in this country wisdom in how to move forward. Well, in what may be one of the most consequential election cases ever heard by the U.S. Supreme Court, the nine justices listened on Thursday to 80 minutes of lawyers oral arguments over the attempt by political activists to knock Donald Trump off the primary ballot in Colorado and other states. And although all of the justices asked pretty tough questions of both sides in the case, Trump versus Anderson, the lawyer for the activists, seemed to have the hardest time satisfying their concerns. And no, I'm not just referring to the conservatives on the court, but all of them. The essence of the case is the decision by four justices of the Colorado Supreme Court over the dissents of three colleagues that because Trump engaged in an insurrection, in quotes, on January 6th of 21, he is disqualified from being president under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution and thus may be removed from office. Now, he has not been charged or convicted of insurrection, but that doesn't seem to matter. In the U.S. Supreme Court, if they uphold the Colorado High Court decision, it would disenfranchise millions of voters in Colorado and other states that follow Colorado's um, actions, a concern raised by more than one justice during Thursday's arguments. Well, those voters would have their right to choose who they think should be president taken away from them by a small group 
of state court judges and partisan election officials. Now, one could see the difference almost immediately in the opening statements of the two sides. Jonathan Mitchell, the former solicitor general of Texas, who was arguing on behalf of Trump, presented a constitutional argument on why Colorado and other states don't have the authority to enforce Section 3 against a federal candidate. Mitchell also argued that the provision of the 14th Amendment doesn't apply to Trump because the former president doesn't fill the precondition of being a former officer of the United States since he was elected, not appointed to a federal office. Mitchell spent a large part of his allotted time answering questions about the constitutional basis for that precondition, along with questions about whether Section 3 can be enforced when no federal legislation provides for that enforcement. We're going to take a break. But when we come back, we'll talk about Jason Murray. He represented the challengers who were trying to remove Trump from the Colorado ballot. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. I'm Georgine Rice. We've been talking about the uh, nine Supreme Court justices uh, questioning activists' effort to kick uh, former President Trump off of the 2024 presidential ballot. Just before the break, I was talking about Jonathan Mitchell, the former Solicitor General of Texas, who was arguing on behalf of Trump. He presented a constitutional argument on why Colorado and other states don't have the authority to enforce uh, Section 3 against a federal candidate. Jason Murray, he represented the challengers uh, who were trying to remove Trump from the Colorado ballot and, of, of course, by extension, others in other states attempting to do the same. He opened with a, a polemic argument that Trump led a violent attack on the U.S. Capitol the first time the building had been attacked since the War of um, 1812 comparing the mostly peaceful protest and criminal trespassing carried out on the 6th of January, 21, by a relatively small number of individuals, which should not have happened, to the burning of the Capitol by invading British soldiers uh, was so over the top that um, some people had to check their notes to make sure that they had heard Murray make the claim. Well, in his opening, Murray uh, continued in this vein by claiming that Trump was trying to create a special exemption from Section 3 just for himself. He denied that Section 3's applicability and enforcement issues could have um, any effect on all federal official and uh, officials and candidates and the power of state officials to disenfranchise millions of voters. At one point, Murray referred to Chief Justice John Roberts raising the pro- raising of problems that could arise from giving state authority. Uh, such removal power is frivolous. Roberts responded strongly that those potential problems were not frivolous. Murray's self-righteous attitude about his client's claims during his opening and questioning by the nine justices certainly did not uh, uh, help him in advancing his client's cause. Mitchell argued for uh, Trump, also got... um, Arguing rather for Trump also got some pretty hard questions from the justices. But unlike Murray, who seemed unable to admit to any weakness in his argument, Mitchell occasionally would admit when there was ambiguity in the legislative history or prior precedents. Uh, making some concessions that seemed unwarranted. Well, several justices questioned Murray about the uh, problem of uniformity and what would happen if different state courts and state officials came to totally different conclusions on whether a candidate had engaged in an insurrection applying different standards of review. Well, Murray kept denying that would uh, cause any problems. Justice Samuel Alito, he particularly uh, pressed him on that issue, at one point becoming so frustrated by Murray's a non-response of how such problems could be managed that he said, I'm not getting a lot of help from Murray. 
What was uh, clear from Murray's arguments for the anti-Trump activists is that he sees no problem whatsoever, uh, whatsoever rather, in opening the Pandora's box of giving state officials the power to remove federal candidates from the ballot, despite um, the conflicting decisions that likely would result from numerous states. Well, in response to a question, Murray denied that the decision of one state, such as Colorado, would have any effect on the voters of any other state. This is another astonishing claim at one justice um, pointed out if the outcome of a presidential election came down to the results of one state, as happened in 2000, such a decision by a lone election official, perhaps a partisan secretary of state to remove one of two major presidential candidates from the ballot, obviously would disenfranchise voters across the rest of the country. Justice Brett Kavanaugh, he asked Murray to respond to concerns raised by one of the dissenting Colorado Supreme Court justices over the lack of due process for Trump in a truncated civil election proceeding as compared to the due process rights to which he would have entitled uh, be entitled to in a criminal prosecution. Well, Murray dismissed those concerns. He also dismissed any concerns over removing the ability of millions of voters to make their own choice of who should be elected. He claimed that enforcement of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment actually safeguards our democracy, which is actually a constitutional republic, which seems a glaring contradiction. And although each side had 40 minutes to argue its case, Murray argued for only 30 minutes because the high court gave Colorado's secretary of state 10 minutes to participate. Representing that office, Shannon W. Stevenson, solicitor general of Colorado, argued for the secretary of state's complete authority to make such decisions on disqualifying a candidate. Well, it's always hard to predict from the questioning how the Supreme Court will rule, but Colorado seemed to have a tougher time justifying its view of the law. And although the Supreme Court never announces ahead of time when it will release an opinion, no doubt the justices know that we are already in the middle of the primary and election season and that ballots are being printed and sent to voters. It's expected that we will get a decision, one with lasting effects far beyond 2024, very quickly from the high court. And it will be interesting to see not only what that decision is, but what direction it will send the republic. Well, in a complex overnight operation, Israeli special forces rescued two hostages from Hamas captivity and Rafah in the southern Gaza Strip early on Monday, marking the first successful extraction of captives held by the terror group in months. The Israeli Defense Forces, or IDF, said that Fernando Marmon, 61, and Louis Har, 70, were in good condition after being rescued following an operation that involved battles with Hamas terrorists and massive Israeli airstrikes in Rafah. Both were later reunited with their families in an Israeli hospital and were said to be in good condition. The pair had been abducted from a kibbutz on the morning of October 7th when Hamas-led terrorists killed 1,200 people and took 253 hostages in a rampage in southern Israel. It was only the second such successful operation of its kind since the 7th of October. The first was the rescue of soldier Ori Megadish. On late October, in early December, the IDF attempted to rescue another hostage, but he was killed. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu called the operation among the most successful rescue operations in Israel's history. Well, the joint operation by the police's elite Yaman uh, Counterterrorism Unit, the Shen Bet Security Council, or agency, and the IDF began at around 1 a.m. in Rafah in an area that Israeli forces had not yet maneuvered into during their ground offensive against the Hamas terror group. 
It was uh, unexpected. The troops pulled Lewis and Fernando out of the apartment and rescued them under fire until they reached the safe zone, hugging them and literally encasing them in the bodies of uh, military and Israeli representatives until they were safe. Within an hour of being extracted, uh, the pair were taken in armored vehicles out of Rafah, then put in a military helicopter that brought them to a medical hospital in Ramat Gan for examination, where both were listed in good condition. The two rescued hostages were able to meet with their families and Shaba Medical Center. Um, one from uh, Kafir Saba was a handyman who often helped residents in the kibbutz with anything they needed fixed. Har was, uh, has four children, ten grandchildren, and is a lover of theater. Asked on his first impression of the uh, pair, um, observing them, uh, one observer said that they were both in bed at the hospital. It's difficult to know, but they look whole. Whether they're healthy in spirit and body is still hard to know, but they look whole. It seems that they had strength of spirit for those 128 days to remain strong and to come back to us. He noted that neither is young. Uh, one is turning 71 in a few weeks, and uh, Marmon um, marked his 61st birthday in captivity. Again, talking about the IDF's rescue of two hostages from South Gaza's Rafah. It's believed that 130 hostages abducted by Hamas on the 7th of October remain in Gaza, not all of them alive, after 105 civilians were released from captivity during a week-long truce in late November, and four hostages were released prior to that. Three hostages have been rescued by troops alive, including in Monday's operation, and the bodies of 11 hostages have been recovered, including three mistakenly killed by the military. The IDF has confirmed the deaths of 29 of those still held in by Hamas, citing new intelligence and findings obtained by troops operating in Gaza. One more person is listed as missing since October 7th, and their fate is still unknown. Hamas is also holding two Israeli civilians um, who were both uh, thought to be alive after entering the strip of their own accord in 2014 and 2015, respectively, as well as the bodies of fallen IDF soldiers Oren Shaw and Hadar Galden in 2014 or since 2014. Even this morning, we don't forget for a moment that 134 hostages are still being held in Gaza, Hagari said. If you can hear me now, we are very determined to bring you home and we will not miss any opportunity to bring you home, he added in a message message to the remaining hostages. The rescue came with Netanyahu's government under increasing pressure to agree to a truce with Hamas that would pause the fighting and pave the way for the hostages to be swapped for Palestinian prisoners, but has so far rebuffed the terror group's demands, which include agreeing to a long-term ceasefire. The premier um, has vowed to eliminate the group, which uh, rules Gaza and maintains that military pressure is necessary to free the remaining hostages. In its um, first statement after the operation, Hamas railed against the massacre of the Israeli army conducted in Rafah, blaming the U.S. for giving the green light to Netanyahu. At the same time that the country awoke to a hopeful morning with news of the rescue of two hostages, the IDF also announced the deaths of two soldiers during fighting in southern Gaza's Khan Yonis on Sunday. Their deaths brought the toll of slain troops in the ground uh, offensive against Hamas to 200 and 29.
You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. I'm Georgine Rice. Well, Sage Publishing, that markets itself as an independent academic journal, retracted three studies regarding the dangers for mothers who use the abortion pill. Well, this likely occurred due to outside political pressure, though Sage denies this particular allegation. For perspective, the three studies have been around since 2019, 2021, and 2022. They're current, respectively, by the way. And the uh, complaint came only after a couple of key political incidents. Well, two of the studies were cited as uh, credible sources by the U.S. District Judge Matthew uh, Kersmark in his ruling suspending the use of mifepristone, a popular abortion pill. The studies warned about the increased danger of recurring emergency room visits and medical complications due to the use of the chemical abortion drug. Well, another federal court, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, cited one of the authors of all three suppressed studies, Dr. Ingrid Skop. Her strong medical advice was that chemical abortions not only uh, not be administered through the mail or prescribed via a telemedicine. This also has to do with the safety and health of the mother. Why this accelerated push to suppress these studies and medical uh, by medical professionals? Well, in March, the U.S. Supreme Court is set to hear arguments regarding the distribution of this abortion drug, mifepristone. The um, uh, Emily, uh, rather Emmy Griffin, um, predicted in June of 22 that. Pro-abortion advocates would start suppressing information and risks to women vis-a-vis the abortion pill after the overturning of Roe versus Wade. True to form, that's where we stand now. All clues indicate that this is what happened in the case of these three studies. Chris Adkins, who got these uh, three studies pulled, is a pharmaceutical science uh, professor and abortion supporter. He claimed that the information was misleading and that the research authors had a conflict of interest. Well, as to the conflict of interest claim, one of the researchers, James Studnicki, is Charlotte Lozier Institute's vice president and director of data analytics. The Charlotte Lozier Institute is the research arm of the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America group. With regard to these uh, two studies that were cited by Judge uh, Kazmark, uh, this affiliation was disclosed at the bottom. In debating the retraction, the researchers pointed out to Sage Publishing that they had no problem publishing other articles that were openly affiliated with the Guttmacher Institute, which is avowedly pro-abortion. Will Sage um, remove those articles as well? Or does uh, does it only apply to work cited by judges attempting to protect women from the abortion pill pushers? Well, what was the information that was misleading? Well, the definition of what qualifies as an adverse reaction to a chemical abortion. The researchers, specifically Johns Hopkins-trained Dr. Studnicki, counted every time a woman had to make an emergency room visit as a response to the abortion pill. Sage Publishing could uh, prefer that the, uh, the count were limited to surgical intervention or hospitalization if the point of uh, research is that chemical abortions can adversely affect the health of the mother, then even going to the emergency room is directly related uh, health emergencies is essential information. Well, the intellectual capture, which Sage adamantly denies, is evident across the board. Scientific journals, researchers, universities, and others that conduct scientific research now tend to favor whatever studies back up their pet political ideologies. In this case, it's the pro-abortion lobby. 
In others, it's the pro-gender mutilation lobby. If determining whether studies and research are reasonable depends on a political ideology and not the methodology and protocol, then it's not really science at all. In this case, the timing is awfully suspicious and the studies in question are being discredited ahead of a major political decision. If the uh, retractions were indeed politically motivated, then it brings up this one essential question. Why do pro-abortion advocates feel they need to suppress scientific studies contradicting their preferred ideological stance? The answer is likely that they don't actually care about the women on whom they're trying to push these drugs. They only care about the principle of being able to kill babies through the convenience uh, methods of abortion pills. Well, decisions will be made, political and otherwise, and these studies may or may not be uh, considered in that process. Well, in other news, vindictiveness scored a victory over free speech last week in a high-profile jury trial in Washington, D.C. For 12 long years, 12 years, climate scientist Michael Mann has dubiously pursued uh, critics of his infamous hockey stick graph, which he used to argue in support of anthropogenic global warming. Two of those uh, critics whom he said have defamed him were conservative pundit Mark Stein and competitive Enterprise Institute science writer Rand Semberg. Mann sued the two primarily for daring to criticize his graph, claiming that he'd suffered harm. Well, the case should have been thrown out on its face, but it was allowed to continue, likely because of the narrative supported by many that labels all who challenge the claims of anthropogenic climate uh, change as climate deniers. Indeed, given uh, any other context, it would be difficult to imagine man's assertions would have been taken seriously by any court. But here we are, as a six-person jury handed down a verdict in man's favor, with Stein ordered to pay him $1 million in punitive damages and Simberg $1,000. Well, the obvious objection this entire case raised is one of First Amendment protection. Freedom of speech and the freedom of press, both foundational rights that undergird our liberty, were infringed by this verdict. As Simberg's attorney, Victoria Weatherford, observed, Professor Mann is a public figure, and our First Amendment makes sure that each of us is free to comment on the most important issues of public concern without fear of being censored or silenced or bullied into submission. And while this trial was ostensibly over the claim of defamation, the real issue was one of free speech, as evidenced ironically by arguments made by Mann's attorney, John Williams. Well, Williams contended that the jury should award punitive damages so as to prevent people from engaging in climate denialism. And he compared it to the danger of Donald Trump's election denialism. An interesting reference. So holding an opinion on climate change that doesn't comport with the current mainstream narrative and daring to voice that opinion should be grounds for legal liability? Well, clearly in this case, yes. Talk about an absolute violation of not only the letter of the First Amendment, but the spirit of it as well. Well, speech is thought and freedom to speak is freedom to think. Evidently, man would like nothing better than to have people prevented from being allowed to disagree with 
let alone challenge his theories on climate change. Indeed, that is the uh, the sentiment expressed by Kate Sell, a senior climate campaign manager for the Union of Concerned Scientists, who said that to believe a verdict in man's favor would serve to reduce the comfort and re- regularity with which those who do accept climate change science speak and speak very nastily about climate scientists. Well, further cementing the notion that this case had Everything to do with protecting the climate change narrative rather than the defamation of man's own history of false, inflammatory and misleading statements. He has referred to Stein as pathetic excuse for a human being, as well as calling National Review, whom he initially also sued, a filthy organization and a threat to children that is doing the bidding of greedy fat cat corporate Masters. Now, can they sue for defamation? In other words, man has said far worse things about those he sued than they have regarding his dubious climate change claims. As uh, Nate Jackson said during the trial, man is arguably the one guilty of actual malice. And he's not alone, either vowing to target National Review again after his victory. They're next, man said. The jury should have taken a line from that cult classic, the big Lebowski regarding his uh, complaint and uh, and said, yeah, well, you know, that's uh, just like your opinion, man. So the freedom to speak, it seems to be compressing. Jonathan um, Haunoff said that millennials today are the most educated generation in American history. But he didn't stop there with around 40 percent holding a bachelor's degree or higher. Yet they are also among the most ignorant and misinformed. Well, how could both things be true? And the Israel-Hamas war and the global anti-Semitism surge that followed has been a disturbing case in point. One reason behind this phenomenon is the generational disparity when it comes to news consumption. While older generations still rely heavily on traditional news sources for current events, 32% of 18 to 29-year-olds are getting their news from alternative news sources on platforms like TikTok, oftentimes from influencers or self-proclaimed citizen journalists on the ground who are not bound by fact-checking or ethical reporting standards observed in newsrooms. Well, it's no coincidence that today one in five young Americans believe the Holocaust is a myth, with an additional 30 percent of respondents polling uh, polled age 18 to 29 unsure if the Holocaust took place. Well, we don't have time to go into much more than that. We've got news coming here at the top of the hour, but you can read more. Uh, Jonathan Haunoff uh, on Fox News writes about this phenomenon. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news coming up at the top of the hour, and we will return with more headlines. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. When the Supreme Court ruled recently that the federal government could remove razor wire on the border between Texas and Mexico that was put in place by the state of Texas, it set off a legal, political and even theological debate about the federalism and border policy. And despite the ruling, the state of Texas has said that they will continue and have continued installing the wire. And several states have decided to send state troopers and members of the National Guard to Texas to help the effort. The federal government generally has had jurisdiction over what happens at our federal border, but we've never faced a situation where the federal government was trying to tear down border barriers to make it easier for illegally 
uh, entering the country. Well, those are unique times, as Florida Governor DeSantis has pointed out. If the Constitution was intended to force states to accept illegal entry into their borders from foreign governments, there's no way it would have been ratified. Well, since the Supreme Court decision, a political debate has erupted in Washington, and we've all witnessed it. An allegedly bipartisan bill called for the border to be closed if more than 5,000 people per day illegally crossed the border. But any support that may have once existed for that bill fell apart the moment it became public. Within Christian circles, the political debate has been happening in tandem with the theological debate, where some appear to be arguing that allowing open borders is a matter of Christian love. Joseph Backholm, writing for the uh, Washington Stand, and I should mention he's a senior fellow for Biblical Worldview and Strategic Engagement at the Family Research Council, uh, points out that this... um, has allowed uh, many to consider what do the scriptures have to say on the subject. On X, the platform formerly known as Twitter, Carlos A. Rodriguez said, 100% of migrants beyond the razor fences were created in the image of God. The implication appears to be that image bearers of God should generally be allowed to do what they want to do, um, but he can't possibly mean that. He suggests, and again, back home, using the moment to take a shot at the nation's largest Protestant denomination. Another ex user said the Southern Baptist Convention International Mission Board budget is two hundred and eighty two million dollars. And the nations are coming to the southern border by Southern Baptists. But Southern Baptists want to see those people trapped in razor wire, setting aside the obvious slander about those who oppose illegal immigration, wanting to see people trapped in razor wire. The assumption here seems to be that we must choose between fulfilling the Great Commission and respecting the rule of law, that this is a false choice. The Bible unquestionably endorses the idea of welcoming strangers and showing hospitality. It also calls for the just treatment of everyone because they are created in the image of God. Deuteronomy twenty four seventeen. But that's not a rebuke of national borders or a statement that people should be able to go wherever they want, whenever they want. Thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not steal are not in conflict. They are complementary. They both recognize that people have dignity and rights by virtue of their humanity, which include the right to life and the right to property. Nations are a way of recognizing property that is owned by a community and therefore not owned by those outside the community. This means people inside a community have privileges those outside the community do not have. Like the definition of a woman, this isn't. Uh, This hasn't been controversial until very recently. The book of Nehemiah is dedicated to the idea that the security that comes from walls is a sign of God's blessing and provision. Conversely, the lack of walls is evidence of of social decay and vulnerability. God is not troubled that the purpose of walls is to prevent some people from doing things they want to do because he knows some people desire to do things they shouldn't do, like take fentanyl and victims or victimize Uh, sex trafficking across international borders for the purpose of killing and exploiting. Of course, not everyone seeking to cross our border intends harm, but that would also be true of all the people who might want to sleep in your house tonight if they uh, knew it was unlocked. But you lock it anyway. The moral arguments being made in defense of open borders aren't much different than the um, moral arguments being made on a range of other issues. It all comes down to the belief that you're not loving your neighbor if you won't let your neighbor do whatever they want. 
We're supposed to let people come into the country if they want, sleep in the streets if they want, steal iPhones from stores if they want, cut off your genitals if they want, abort their children if they want. The desire itself is the justification. The belief that some greater good could outweigh the current longing of an individual is framed as hatred or bigotry. But none of it is true. We don't have to choose between love and order, and anyone who suggests otherwise may be well-intended, but they certainly aren't speaking what the Scriptures are teaching. Again, Joseph Beckholm is Senior Fellow for Biblical Worldview and Strategic Engagement at the Family Research Council. On the theological discussion accompanying the political controversy surrounding our open border. In other news, President Biden, he addressed the nation on Thursday night saying his memory is fine and defended his reelection campaign, saying he is the most qualified person in the country to be president. Biden addressed to the nation from the White House Thursday night comes just hours after special counsel Robert Hur released his report, which did not recommend criminal charges against the president for mishandling classified documents. Those records include classified documents about military and foreign policy in Afghanistan, among other records related to national security and foreign policy, which her said implicated sensitive intelligence sources and methods. Her, though, described Biden as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with poor memory. Her throughout the more than 300 page report said it would be difficult to convince a jury that they should convict him of a serious felony, even though a serious felony had been committed that requires a mental state of willingness and said he would be well into his 80s. End quote. Biden on Thursday night said he agreed. I'm well-meaning and I'm an elderly man and I know what's going on or what I'm doing. He said it more colorfully, but I won't repeat. I've been president. I put this country back on its feet. I don't need his recommendation referring to her. And he added, my memory is fine. Well, the truth is it oftentimes is not fine, and it's up to the American people to decide if it's fine enough today and whether or not it can be sustained over the next four years, that is, beginning in 2025. It was never in doubt, and now it's official. Former President Donald Trump easily won Nevada's Republican presidential caucus. The former president, who's the commanding frontrunner for the 2024 nomination, has, uh, as he bids a third straight time for the White House, was the only major candidate on the ballot in the caucus run by the closely aligned Nevada GOP. As ballots continued to be counted late Thursday night, Trump was winning over 99% of the vote in a contest that didn't include Nikki Haley, his last remaining major rival for the nomination. And he grabbed all 26 delegates to this summer's nominating convention that were a stake in the caucus. Trump's win in Nevada came hours after he grabbed roughly three quarters of the vote for a landslide victory in the presidential caucus run by the U.S. Virgin Islands GOP. The former president also came up the winner on Tuesday in Nevada's state-run Republican presidential primary, even though he wasn't on the ballot. Trump's absence from the primary ballot wasn't enough to provide a path to victory for Haley, the former two-term Southern Carolina Um, The governor who later served as U.N. ambassador in the Trump administration, she lost on Tuesday to a none of these candidates option by a more than two to one margin in the primary where no GOP convention delegates were at stake. Voters casting ballots in the primary couldn't write in Trump's names, but they could vote for none of these candidates. And Trump supporters interviewed outside the polling station said that is precisely how they voted. 
You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. I'm Georgine Rice. Republican Representative Claudia Tenney is calling for the cabinet to explore the use of the Constitution's 25th Amendment to remove President Biden from office following special counsel Robert Hur's alarming report, as she put it. Hur did not recommend uh, criminal charges against the president for mishandling classified documents. Those records include classified documents about military, foreign policy, and so on. Hur, though, described the president as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. Her throughout the more than 300 page report said it would be difficult to convince a jury that they should convict him of a serious felony that requires the mental state of willingness. And should he uh, uh, and said rather he would be well into his 80s in quote, of course, if he were to um, win a reelection, that would also be the case. Well, the letter that Tenney wrote from New York sent to Attorney General Garland Thursday night. Uh, sharing her grave concerns following the report after concluding that President knowingly and willfully removed, mishandled and disclosed classified documents repeatedly over a period of decades. Mr. Hur nevertheless recommended that charges not be brought against him. Tenney wrote special counsel's reasoning was alarming and we should consider whether or not this triggers the 25th Amendment. Now, I would love to see Congress focusing on the people's business and not on one another. But this is where we are in 21st century America. Well, Gavin Newsom facing legal action from fired Jewish uh, general for alleged anti-Semitism, uh, anti-Semitic discrimination, harassment and other offenses. The Democrat uh, governor uh, Newsom and another state official are facing legal action from a fired Air National Guard general who says he faced anti-Semitic discrimination, harassment and retaliation before being wrongfully terminated last year. Retired Brigadier General Jeffrey Magram, who is Jewish, filed a lawsuit in January in a Los Angeles court. Magram is alleging that the former superior uh, Major General Matthew Beavers, who now serves as the California Military Department's um, uh, adjutant general created a hostile work environment by engaging in numerous anti-Semitic behaviors over a period of two years and that complaints related to his conduct were unanswered by Newsom. Uh, Magram, he made headlines in January of last year when his firing in that month followed reports he used troops to carry out personal errands, including taking his mother shopping and that he readied a fighter jet for a possible domestic mission in 2020 during the uh, early days of the coronavirus pandemic, which spurned fear among officials. The order would result in a plane buzzing civilian protesters in an attempt to disperse the crowds. On internal disciplinary boards substituted, rather substantiated the multiple allegations against Magram prior to his involuntary transfer to the Air Force Retired Reserve. Well, Magram, however, he disputes those reasons for his termination and instead says it's because he spoke out against uh, Beaver's alleged behavior, which, according to Magram, included statements referring to another general as being so cheap he gives Jewish people a bad name and making the statement, how Jewish can you get regarding another Jewish service member's attempt to obtain a military discount on a vehicle, according to Magram. Each instance of alleged anti-Semitism by Beavers was witnessed by at least one other senior officer and reported them to Newsom's office on six different occasions. And the legal challenge will move forward. 
An attorney on Wednesday highlighted how school shutdowns in California during the coronavirus pandemic disproportionately impacted low-income students and students of color who experienced learning loss, leading to a massive settlement from the state. Our challenge to the state was basically, look, the pandemic happened. You shoveled money to the school districts and said, go teach. And we felt that and argued that that was insufficient and documented that that was insufficient. Michael A. Jacobs, a partner at the Morris Four Star, said he went on to say the schools shut down, remote learning launched and the districts, in a sense, just assumed that everybody had a quiet place to learn remotely on a computer that works with a high speed Internet connection. So it's not breaking down all the time. And that's just not the case for low-income students and students of color. They just didn't have that educational opportunity. Nearly every school in California was locked down for in-person learning, and students attended school remotely from home during the early stages of COVID-19. And um, in what's regarded as one of the largest education-related settlements in U.S. history, California is now being forced to spend two billion dollars with a B, two billion dollars to help students recover from learning loss. Morris Forrester, in collaboration with public council, helps secure that two billion dollars in funding. Third party candidates have caused major panic among left leaning media pundits as they should uh, they sound the alarm rather over threats to democracy and suggested people supporting such candidates were throwing their votes away. We've heard it before. Figures like Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who's running for the White House as an independent, and Senator Joe Manchin, the Democrat from West Virginia, who is mulling a run himself, have raised alarm that they could siphon valued votes away from President Biden and deliver victory to former President Trump. Tara Setmeyer, a senior advisor to the Lincoln Project and frequent guest on MSNBC, said on Wednesday that this election would be no different from past third-party spoilers. I think that third party candidates are spoilers. History could potentially repeat itself again. Redundant itself again. Anyway, and now more than ever, the idea of a third party is a threat to our democracy. There is not a this is not the time for this, she said. I understand the frustration that the American electorate has. People always express a certain amount of frustration with the two party system. But that's well, it's not the system. It's the two party representative. But that's the system we have. She says we're not in a position now where we have two candidates who are equal threats to our democracy, she said. Well, she added that Trump was a threat to our democratic system and she scolded voters who think Biden is too old and said that they need to uh, take a step back and look at the choices, which, of course, that's what they're doing. And they may not choose the two who are at the top of the ticket under the two major parties. Meanwhile, the Biden administration's approach to energy policy ignores the importance of coal and baseload electricity demands. President Joe Biden revealed as much in a speech last year, announcing that the U.S. will be shutting these plants down all across America and having wind and solar. Further, Biden's climate envoy, John Kerry, stated at the U.N. climate conference, the COP28, that we will be working to accelerate unabated coal phase out across the world. The Biden administration is determined to eliminate coal-fired power plants in the name of environmental justice. This is short-sighted, however. Biden is now following through on his plan by wielding the vast power of the Environmental Protection Agency. His EPA gave the U.S. coal industry an ultimatum, spend billions or die. 
In May, the EPA unexpectedly proposed regulations that would force coal-fired power plants to install carbon capture systems or replace coal as natural with natural gas sig- uh, significantly by 2040. Currently, only two commercial coal plants in the U.S. have CCS capabilities. And universally installing CCS infrastructure will cost coal plants Billions, again, with a B. Once installed, these plants will become upwards of 50% more expensive to run. And as a result, many coal plants will close prematurely. The EPA projects that their regulations will close enough coal plants to reduce coal-powered energy by 18 gigawatts annually. The U.S. is on track to close half its coal capacity by 2026. Well, this loss of baseload generation poses serious threats to the American economy. Biden is advancing a goal of transitioning to renewables like wind and solar and away from traditional baseload sources before we have the capacity, the ability to maintain adequate generation for the economy. Renewables alone are not yet able to meet America's growing demand for energy. If America dispenses with fossil fuels like coal before developing the capacity to replace these baseload generation... Then the American people should expect brownouts and blackouts, higher electricity bills and an economy unable to compete with our adversaries. Something to think about. Well, hail to the Chiefs, Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes. He um, his legend continues to grow as his uh, overtime drive led to a Super Bowl Victory over San Francisco 49ers, 25-22 to on Sunday night in Las Vegas. The Chiefs defended their Super Bowl title, winning back-to-back Vince Lombardi trophies and collecting their third ring in the past five seasons. Mahomes finished the game with 333 yards on 34-46 to through the air with two touchdowns and one interception, while rushing for a team-high 66 yards on nine carries. It's safe to say the Chiefs are officially a dynasty, and it happened in Grand fashion in a thrilling Super Bowl. A word about the 49ers quarterback, Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, as he is known. Hey, well done. I thought he did. uh, thought he did great. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. If you're in Seattle, we bid you a fond farewell and want to say thank you to Pedro Bartez. He does yeoman's work in the Seattle area. If you're listening from Portland, we're going to continue to wind our way through some of the headlines. So stick around. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, good afternoon and welcome back. This is the Portland-only segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, the U.S. national debt interest payments will become the second biggest government expense. Well, interest on the uh, national debt is on pace to become the second largest federal government expenditure. That's according to a new committee for a responsible federal budget and analysis of the latest Congressional Budget Office projections. Well, they characterize interest on the national debt currently climbing to $35 trillion as the fastest growing part of the federal government's annual budget. The um, report's uh, February report, I should say, adds that as a share of the economy, debt will grow from 97 percent of gross domestic product in fiscal year 2023, twice the 50 year historical average of 48 percent to a record 106 percent of GDP by 2028. Well, after nearly doubling from $345 billion in 2020 to $659 billion in 2023, interest costs will double to $1.3 trillion by 2031 and reach $1.6 trillion, a record 3.9% of GDP, by 2034. Interest costs have already passed Medicaid and will exceed the cost of defense and Medicare this year. 
That will have an impact on all of the entitlement programs, not to mention the burden carried by future generations. Representative Mike Gallagher, the Republican out of Wisconsin, has decided not to run for office again. A key Republican congressman who spearheaded the House pushback against the Chinese government announced on Saturday that he won't run for a fifth term. Well, that announcement comes just days after he angered his fellow Republicans by refusing to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro uh, Mayorkas. The GOP has been looking to oust Mayorkas as a way to punish the Biden administration over its handling of the southern border. A House impeachment vote Tuesday fell just one vote short. Gallagher was one of three Republicans who opposed the impeachment. He said he believes the government is better when people serve for a certain amount of time and know when it's time to retire. He also stated that he felt he had accomplished so much during his time in Congress and believed that this chapter of his life needed to end. Well, activists are suing doctors when their baby could turn out to be to have Down syndrome and they're not offered an abortion. A half century after the West began to move away from eugenics, we have fully embraced it once again. Abortion is used to kill nearly 90 percent of children diagnosed with Down syndrome in the womb. The post-Roe debate in the U.S. right now has abortion activists using disabled or sick children as a reason that feticide must be available. According to attorney uh, uh, Pruch Lang, the decision is momentous. The OGH confirms that doctors are liable for the full maintenance costs of the child, regardless of the child's state of health, if the birth could have been prevented through professional information or treatment, she said. Well, the doctor will now have to pay all costs for the child and has already been made to pay around $83,000. In future, further claims amounting to several hundred thousand euros will be made for the parents of the disabled child. Pooch Lang went on to write, this ruling could have far reaching implications for medical practice and patient rights. Wrongful birth lawsuits are a disturbing legal trend in which parents hijack prenatal testing, a pro-life tool that is meant to ensure preborn children receive the health care they need while still in the womb as a means to weed out children they feel are not worthy of life. If a doctor does not offer them this opportunity to have an abortion, then they can be held accountable as this um, Austrian doctor has unfortunately found out. Sad situation. Well, Supreme Court justices seem skeptical of the Colorado ruling against uh, former President Trump. What gives Colorado the right to decide the presidential election for the rest of the nation? That was the general thrust of the questions from not only the Supreme Court's conservatives, but also its liberals on Thursday, as the court heard oral arguments on whether the 14th Amendment's Civil War era disqualification clause bars Donald Trump from running for president again. Indeed, some of the toughest questions came from Obama appointee Elena Kagan and Biden appointee Katanji Brown Jackson. It was as clear a sign as you'll ever see that the Roberts court is uh, seeking a resounding consensus and its ruling on an important constitutional question rather than coming down with a contentious and narrowly decided 5-4 ruling. Not surprisingly, the former president liked what he saw or heard from his home in Florida. In watching the Supreme Court today, he remarked, I thought it was a very beautiful process. I thought the presentation today was a good one. I think it was well received. I hope it is uh, well received. Asked whether the events, end quote, by the way, asked whether the events of January 6, 21, uh, met the Constitution's disqualification standard. Trump lawyer Jonathan Mitchell answered, for an insurrection, there needs to be an organized, concerted effort to overthrow the government of the United States through violence. 
Apparently, Mitchell thinks a relatively small and unarmed mob of rioters, possibly spurred on by a still mysterious number of undercover FBI agents, falls somewhat short of that insurrectionist standard. President Biden suddenly found new border enforcement powers just out of thin air, apparently. Last month, the senators were wrangling over an eventually failed bipartisan border bill. President Biden disingenuously claimed that his hands were effectively tied, that he was all out of options in his ability to confront the border crisis if Congress didn't act to grant him more power to address the situation. Well, that claim was a politically calculated, well, half-truth, untruth, which mainstream media outlets like NBC News were more than willing to report as if it were undeniable. Never mind the fact that the reason millions of illegal aliens have streamed across the southern border is due to the administration's enacting of de facto policy of open borders, where nearly uh, every migrant who illegally enters is classified as an asylum seeker. Now that the Senate's bipartisan border bill has died, the president has suddenly discovered that he does indeed have more available powers to enforce border security than previously asserted. He's considering issuing an executive order to do so. Of course, this, too, is all political theater aimed at projecting the false narrative that Biden has been seeking to do all within his power to tackle the immigration problem, but has been stymied by Republicans. Well, let me correct myself. Mega Republicans. Bad press forced New York City's D.A. Bragg's hands Well, speaking of illegal immigration, Manhattan's soft on crime district attorney Alvin Bragg has suddenly had a change of heart thanks to growing public outrage over video footage that captured a group of illegal aliens beating two cops in Times Square. As New York City residents have declared a sanctuary city, the instance of a gang of illegals beating cops and then immediately walking free, middle finger on display, has only raised the criticism of the city's uh, leaders to a fever pitch. Even New York's Democrat Governor Kathy Hochul weighed in. Get them all and send them back. You don't touch our police officers. You don't touch anyone, end quote. Well, on Thursday, Bragg announced uh, charges against seven of the uh, illegal aliens involved in the beating, stating, we have absolutely no tolerance for this despicable behavior. However, thanks to Bragg's decision to release these same uh, young men, some of them have not yet been apprehended. The criminal illegal aliens are on the lam. This is what uh, failure to uphold law faithfully gets you. Well, the House is probing the climate czar, John Kerry, Joe Biden's climate czar, who is soon leaving the posts ostensibly to join Biden's reelection team, may have actually been motivated to jump ship for other reasons. House Republicans on the Oversight Committee have launched an investigation into Kerry and his role of as uh, special envoy for climate or SPEC over claims that he colluded and coordinated with leftist environmental groups. Committee Chairman James Comer out of Kentucky, he wrote in a letter to the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, meetings with leftist environmental organizations, sometimes collectively addressed as the kitchen cabinet, go far beyond normal briefings and raise questions regarding possible conflict of interest involving SPEC staff ties to these groups regarding climate finance investments, end quote. Comer further alleges that SPEC has failed to comply with any oversight measures. In other words, Kerry has effectively run a rogue executive entity that has hidden the details of its working with leftist environmental groups. Chinese communists are useful, or I should say they're useful 
Microsoft idiots doing the bidding of an evil genocidal communist regime should be a bridge too far for Silicon Valley and its famous expressing concerns for human rights and even human feelings. But as the saying goes, money talks. And apparently it has been talking so loudly to Microsoft that the tech giant has been more more than willing to develop uh, search algorithms for Chinese users that filter out and center any censor rather any reference to the genocide Beijing meted out on its Uyghur population. In fact, Microsoft also helped promote false propaganda of images of a happy Uyghur population with absolutely no hint of any negative experience under China's communist government. And it's not as if Microsoft doesn't know, as the U.N. has officially accused China of serious human rights violations. But never mind that. Beijing rejects the well-documented accusations and claims these are merely anti-China voices trying to smear China. Well, evidently, that excuse is good enough for Microsoft to run interference for, for Beijing and help pull the wool over Chinese citizens' eyes. Shame on Microsoft. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. We'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, conservative commentator Mark Stein, Stein rather, has been hit with a $1 million fine for calling climate scientists' work fraudulent. The Senate advanced Ukraine and Israel aid after the GOP blocked larger border bill. A a Democrat senator is being torched for calling illegal migrants the people we care most about. And President Biden says Israel went over the top in Gaza, while attorney, um, or I should say, Anthony Blinken accused Israel of trying to dehumanize Palestinians. I'm not sure if they missed that whole October 7th thing. The budget gap will top $1.6 trillion this year growing another $1 trillion over the next decade. Tech layoffs just keep coming as the sector um, resets rather for AI, artificial intelligence. Mayor London Breed hacked a Republican-led campaign to overhaul Prop 47, and Harvard obstructed a congressional probe into widespread anti-Semitism. Virginia's largest school district put a kink-affirming bondage specialist in charge of reviewing parent complaints about books. That seems like a... Odd fit. Five trans players are dominating a double A women's college volleyball game and a, a pediatrician group says research doesn't support gender affirming treatments. Well, 18 Senate Republicans voted with Democrats to advance a ninety five billion dollar foreign aid bill. Thomas Jefferson, in his first inaugural address, widely wisely warned his fellow Americans against entangling alliances with other nations. Unfortunately for our federal Uh, government. 18 Republican senators decided to ignore his advice yesterday, instead voting with Democrats to advance a $95 billion foreign aid bill for Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan, as well as civilians in Gaza and the West Bank. And this without having prioritized the far more urgent matter of securing our southern border. The 18 Republicans who voted for the bill no doubt did so against the wishes of many of their constituents. I know it's uh, become quite fashionable in some circles to disregard the global interests we have as a global power, to bemoan the responsibilities of global leadership, said a condescending Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, adding, this is idle work for idle minds. End quote. On Saturday, the day before the Senate vote, Donald Trump suggested a different approach. From this point forward, are you listening to uh, are you listening, U.S. Senate? No money in the form of foreign aid should be given to any country unless it is done as a loan. 
not just a giveaway. It can be loaned on extraordinarily good terms like no interest and an unlimited life, but a loan nevertheless, end quote. Well, it sounds like a sensible idea for a nation racing toward insolvency, as we mentioned earlier. In 1794, six years after helping to secure the ratification of the Constitution, then U.S. Congressman and future President James Madison wrote sardonically of a $15,000 congressional appropriation for French refugees. I cannot undertake to lay my finger on that article of the Constitution, which granted a right to Congress of expending on objects of benevolence the money of their constituents, end quote. Madison, who's recognized as the father of the Constitution, knew of what he spoke, and our nation would be indefinitely better shape had he heeded his age, uh, had we heeded his age-old wisdom. Well, interest payments on national debt will exceed defense and Medicare spending, and a story that bears directly on the Senate's passage yesterday of the $95 billion foreign aid bill, a new analysis by the Committees for Responsible Federal Budget say that interest payments on the U.S. national debt are on pace to become the second largest federal government expenditure this year. I won't uh, go any further, as we mentioned it earlier in the program. Well, Mayorkas is blame-shifting on the border crisis. In an interview on NBC's Meet the Press, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, he claimed that the border crisis that has been unfolding and escalating by design during the entirety of Joe Biden's time in office is not his fault. Mayorkas effectively denied the administration's policy of open borders by saying that claims he was willfully avoiding enforcing immigration laws were baseless. Yet he didn't explain why, even as record numbers of aliens have crossed into the U.S. under his watch. Interviewer Kristen Welker pressed Mayorkas on his recent acknowledgement that more than 85 percent of migrants caught crossing the border have been released into the U.S. and pointedly asked, why do you deserve to keep your job, Mr. Secretary? Well, he had no answer. What he did do was blame shift, claiming that Congress failed to pass new immigration legislation. That was the problem and that Biden, the administration, doesn't bear responsibility for a broken system. And we're doing a tremendous amount within that broken system, end quote. Well, if the system was so broken, how come Donald Trump had significant success in culling the number of illegal immigrants crossing into the U.S.? Hmm. Well, speaking of the border crisis, the administration has repeatedly argued that root causes such as crime and high poverty rates in Central American countries need to be addressed to stop the problem of mass illegal migration. It's an excuse used in lieu of the administration's refusal to secure the southern border. However, more significant than push factors are pull factors within the U.S., known as sanctuary cities, that act as magnets for those who come. As U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Director Patrick Lick I recently observed sanctuary jurisdictions are inherently more unsafe because they're letting these individuals out who have serious convictions. And Joe Biden has only contributed to the problem. After assuming office, he reversed a federal order barring sanctuary cities from receiving federal department funding. To make matters worse, under the administration's watch, deportations of criminal illegal aliens have fallen 67 percent, while at the same time, arrests of criminal aliens have dropped by 57 percent. That's a recipe for higher crime and disaster. U.S. Air Force is stretching the age bar in an effort to tackle the problem of poor recruiting numbers. The U.S. Air Force will be implementing a new rule. The maximum number of years an enlisted service member may stay at a given rank will be automatically raised by two years. In other words, the Air Force is effectively tackling low recruitment with retention, keeping current service members 
longer. Furthermore, the Air Force is also considering reintroducing warrant officers, a program it ended 65 years ago. Finally, the Air Force will be reaching out to recent service retirees with the implementation of a voluntary retired return to active duty program. The program aims to allow up to a thousand retired officers to enlist to join up for activity, duly uh, active uh, duty for no more than 48 months. Public transportation is languishing in the post-pandemic America. There's a death spiral currently at work among our urban transportation systems. These uh, rail and bus entities have lost riders who are now working from home, who are fearful of catching the next COVID-like contagion or who don't want to risk being the next victim of rampant crime. In response, they've raised their rates to remain solvent and the higher costs are pushing away still more riders and causing them to look for other transportation options. That's why public transportation systems from Washington to San Francisco raised fares and lobbied for more government subsidies last year as ridership plateaued at 71 percent of pre-pandemic levels. The Washington uh, Times reports the argument goes that if someone doesn't pay to keep the emptier vehicles running frequently, more commuters will turn to their cars, ride shares, bicycles or other modes of transit. No worries, though. Joe Biden's beloved Amtrak is as financially sound as our federal fiscal Outlook. Well, it's a sad day. A GOP rising star abruptly announced he is leaving Congress. The future seemed exceedingly bright for Wisconsin Republican Mike Gallagher, and it might still be bright, just not as a U.S. congressman. As The Washington Times reports, the 39-year-old lawmaker was considered a rising star in the Republican Party, building a brand as a top national security and foreign policy hawk. Well, last year, he was tapped to chair the high-profile Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party, and yet... He says he's not running for re-election in November. This is uh, weird stuff. In the space of a week, the youngest committee chairman in recent history casts one of three GOP votes against impeaching Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas and announces he won't run again. Gallagher, a retired Marine officer and a highly regarded China hawk, tried to justify his vote to save Mayorkas as a protest against not impeaching Joe Biden as if the two were mutually exclusive. Electoral politics was never supposed to be a career. And trust me, Congress is no place to grow old, Gallagher said. This is, um, well, again, rather strange. He hails from a solidly red state. So reelection would have been a foregone conclusion. For whatever reason, we can't afford to uh, chase away our best and brightest young lawmakers. But this one, he's going. Hey, we are out of time. I do want to thank James Blend for producing, Dave King for engineering today's program, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.